0: Work. We are in Acts chapter 3 this morning, and I want to invite you to turn to your Bible. And I'm going to say something that you will expect a pastor to say, and I want you to give me the benefit of the doubt. Last Sunday's sermon on Acts 2 is the most important sermon I will preach in this series. And so I'd encourage you, if you missed it, to go check it out. Thank you. Thank you for receiving that. So if you would, would you stand? Acts chapter 3, let's pray. Gracious Father, we need your spirit to touch our ears and minds and hearts. We want to meet with you, Let us see Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man, lame from birth, was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, that's called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those who enter the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. while he clung to Peter and John, and all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we've made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, And the faith that is through Jesus has given this man his perfect health in the presence of you all. Now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance and did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, thus he fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn again, that your sins may be blotted out And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaim these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first, To bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. You may be seated. Our imaginations are wonderful gifts. We can envision a better life for ourselves or for another person, accomplish a goal, uh, conceive of a victory on the basketball court or graduating uh, from school or even write a novel. But they can also fuel our anxieties, inflame our desires, and lead to nightmares. I saw her at a distance, And there was something that I knew wasn't just right. The sleeve on her blouse uh, wasn't moving uh, freely. And as she turned, I saw that it was uh, pinned uh, to her side. She had only one arm, and I wondered what had happened to her. And then I became uncomfortable because I didn't really want to know what it meant for her that she was missing an arm. The ridicule she probably endured as a child. The rejection from men because she was not whole. But deeper still, I didn't want to imagine what the loss of an arm would mean for me. I didn't want to imagine what it would feel like to feel what she must have felt to ponder the frustration of not being able to do the things that people with two arms can do. To know that helplessness, or perhaps for me that anger that I would experience. Luke tells us the story of a man who was crippled from birth, who lived dependent upon the pity and compassion of others. But he invites us not to imagine so much the misery of his life, but rather the joy that comes when he's made whole. Now, Luke doesn't tell us very much about this man, other than he's been crippled from birth and was well known in Jerusalem. But he takes a long time to describe this miracle. Actually, more space is devoted to this miracle than any other in the book of Acts. And it's because this story sets up for us what we should recognize in all the miracles that it is a picture of the gift of the wholeness that Jesus offers. It's a gift available to everyone who sees in some way that they are not whole. That in some way they are crippled, in a way that's perhaps invisible to others. Perhaps they lack compassion and love, or courage and gentleness, or self-control and Hope or love and confidence. And I want to explore this story with you in three parts. The joy in the healing, the joy that comes through Jesus, and the way to know this joy. Now, this man born crippled was healed in just this way. Peter and John were going into the temple at 3 p.m. That was the time of the evening sacrifice in a time when a prayer service was held. And as they make their uh, way through the crowd, a beggar is being carried uh, on a litter to his usual spot. Uh, this is a man who had never taken a step in his whole life and always had to be carried wherever he was. And he was had one of the best possible spots uh, to beg. It was at the Beautiful Gate, which was the largest gate that entered the temple area, which means it was a high-traffic area. And people were gathered there at that time to go to pray. And one of the three chief characteristics of Jewish piety was almsgiving, giving to the poor. And so these people who were going there to pray would, well, be inclined uh, to give. And he caught sight of Peter and John and sized them up as good prospects. A few cents, please, he cried out. And as he began, Peter replied, look at us. The man is anticipating that they will meet his greatest need, which is money. But Peter and John have brought no money with them in the temple, and instead they speak to his greatest need Silver and gold I do not have, but what I have I give to you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Walk. And Peter took him by his right hand, raised him up, and immediately his feet were made strong. And leaping, he stood up and he began uh, to walk, and he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. Now, Luke's a physician. And he writes this kind of with a physician's eye. The way you might, uh, if you had a patient and you were reviewing his case. This poor man knew that he couldn't walk. And so when Peter spoke to him, he didn't budge. And so Peter grabbed him uh, by the right hand and began to hoist him up. And at that very moment, the Greek text says, instantly... Everything in his feet and his ankle bones and his joints uh, were put into place. And all this happened in just an instant, like that. And uh, as he stood up, it was as if he had never been crippled. He doesn't learn to walk. He's not unsteady on his feet. Immediately walks. And he has such joy that walking isn't expressive enough. And so he begins to jump up and to leap and to praise God. And, well, the crowd notices this. They know who this man uh, is. And they are stunned, just utterly amazed and wonder at what has taken place. And so they gather around uh, Peter and John, and Peter says, Peter's like any preacher, he sees a crowd, it's time to give a sermon. And so he begins to address the crowd. Uh, This man now walks not because of us, uh, as if we were especially holy. No, God is glorifying his servant, Jesus And then Peter goes on, Luke gives us a summary of what Peter says to them and tells us that this healing is both a preview and an x-ray of the wholeness and the salvation that Jesus brings and then why it comes through Jesus Christ and how it is that we ourselves can know this same joy. It's just a summary, it's not the whole speech of course, and one of the things that uh, is really striking is, is that Peter doesn't say, well, we healed this man as an act of compassion. Now, no doubt this healing was that. It was an expression of the compassion of Jesus Christ, for it is Jesus Christ from heaven through Peter and John, whom this man receives healing. He would not only be able to walk, but to work. And yet Peter doesn't dwell on this at all. No, Peter makes a connection between the wholeness that this man receives in the miracle of healing his legs and the connection between the present and ultimate final healing that Jesus came to earth to bring to us. Uh, Peter emphasizes this as he talks about uh, the prophets foreseeing the suffering of Jesus. And that this healing is, in fact, what Isaiah was speaking of. Isaiah uh, writes this in part. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it. The majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord. 35, Isaiah sees a time when nature will be transformed. Blind eyes open, deaf ears unstopped, and the lame will leap like a deer. And Jesus, if you read the Gospels, he did all of these things. And now from heaven, he does it again. Isaiah sees a close connection between the healing of the lame and the blind and the mute and the restoring of all things. The prophet's looking forward to a day when everything that's broken and crippled and deformed on planet Earth will be restored. Restored to its original goodness and wholeness. Fertile Fields are in our world becoming deserts. Legs that uh, should be able to run are twisted. Conflict and hatred mar our relationships. But there's a coming day when all the goodness and beauty and wholeness will be restored to everything. That's what Peter's driving at in verse 21 when he says the restoring of all things. The healing of this man is a preview of that coming uh, day and the joy that will accompany him. Now, at all times, all of us at times, uh, long for someone who can bring healing, who can heal what's crippled or deformed or partial in us in our souls and our bodies for release from chronic illness to the anger that we don't seem to be able to master to the depression that's a stubborn darkness to perhaps the fear that causes us uh, to keep distant uh, from people, to hold back from risking uh, love with them. What joy we would have if we experienced healing in just one of those things. Well, the joy of this paralyzed man is a preview of the joy that's coming. Now, if you're uncertain about the gospel, of Christ's claims or the reliability of the scriptures, would you allow yourself to feel that longing, the pull there is for personal and cosmic healing in your life? If you let yourself, you will recognize and feel that desire. Would you leverage that desire into the motivation to explore and examine what uh, might be your questions uh, about the claims of Christianity? That it might move you to be open to the possibility that there actually are satisfactory answers to your honest questions. This miracle is a preview of what's to come, but it's also an x-ray of what God is doing. You know, an x-ray makes visible what's invisible uh, to our eye. It exposes an inner reality. And the inner reality we see here is what God is doing in this very uh, moment to restore human life. Peter puts it this way. Repent, therefore, and turn that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. We cannot see forgiveness, nor the restoring of a relationship with God, We can't see the gift of new life. These gifts are spiritual uh, and not uh, physical. And in this act of healing, in the way that it takes place, Peter is exposing the reality of this. He wants us to see this. He's declaring it in his sermon. Luke tells us something very similar to this that happened early in Jesus' ministry. It's in Luke chapter 5 if you want to look it up. Some friends brought a man who was paralyzed to Jesus. And they anticipated Jesus would heal them, but instead what Jesus says in front of those that are gathered, your sins are forgiven. Jesus addresses the deepest need of this man. And he hears in the depths of people's hearts, their grumbling that he would take on this divine prerogative. And so he heals the man. He says, take up your pallet. And walk, and demonstrates that, in fact, this man had received this great gift, a greater gift than walking, the forgiveness of his sins. And so in this X-ray of inner healing, we have the first part of a two-part healing, which will be finished when Jesus returns. And he raises to life those who have been dead, and he creates a new heavens and a new earth. This miracle, in fact, uh, these miracles in the life of Jesus and the book of Acts are called signs. They point to not only what Jesus is doing, but they point to Jesus himself. And so Peter begins his, uh, his address by saying, God has glorified his servant Jesus. This joy. That this man has. And the joy that's coming. In the restoring of all things. The renewal of all things. Is a joy that comes through Jesus. Why is that? Well Peter's speaking. uh, To his fellow. uh, uh, Jewish believers. And so he reminds them. Of the promises made to. Abraham. That Abraham would have a descendant. Who would bring a blessing to the world. By removing the curse. That had come. Because of human rebellion against God. And as Peter goes on and talks about Jesus and their relationship with Jesus, what he says just drips with irony. They all know, it hasn't been very long ago, what happened in the life of Jesus. They were familiar with Jesus' life. And he says, they delivered Jesus over to the Roman governor who had pardoned him and would have released him. To be crucified, they denied Jesus justice, asking instead for a murderer to be pardoned. The holy and righteous One not sure unusual names, but names nonetheless for the Messiah. Every pious Jew would have said they were longing for the Messiah. and ironically, when He came, they rejected him. And the irony continues when he says, you killed the author of life. How can that be that you can kill the author of life? But God raised him from the dead. God's purpose was not thwarted. In fact, their actions furthered uh, God's purpose. And God vindicates Jesus as righteous and innocent by raising him from the dead. He is indeed the holy and righteous one. They did this in ignorance, unknowing that they were advancing God's plan, and yet they're culpable. They know the truth now. They are guilty of betraying the Christ. Peter's announcing to us that Jesus has died in our place, the innocent for the guilty, and through his sufferings, forgiveness, healing, new life, and deliverance have come. And Peter's emphasizes that he and John are witnesses to Christ's resurrection. And that's central throughout all of the preaching in the book of Acts. And here especially, it announces that God's future is breaking into our present existence. Christ's resurrection from the dead in in a new body that's heavenly and not earthly is the first expression of the reality that a new and greater reality is coming. Jesus' resurrection is a sign pointing to the miracle, the great miracle of new life, of regeneration, of eternal life, a life that will not end, that will not be injured by physical Death, the grave cannot take this from us, as well as the restoration of our relationship with God. That's how the restoration of all things begins, with being pardoned and restored uh, to God. And so there's substantial healing, real healing available now through Jesus. It's not total healing. But the new life brings us enough healing now, to make us patient as we hope for Jesus' return and to complete the renewal of all things. Enough hope to pray for healing for physical ailments, as well as hope to endure suffering. Enough hope to forgive those who harm us, as well as to take risks in loving others. Do you have this hope? It had been, well, a while before I noticed the water on the floor in front of the refrigerator. I wiped it up and then I thought, well, I need to figure out what's going on that there's so much water on the floor. So I opened the door and pulled out the, you know, the, the vegetable and fruit uh, keeper and there is a pint of water down in that Uh, depression and a towel that's soaking wet and so I asked Nancy about it you know and she told me well she'd been changing those towels for four years (laughs) and then uh, I remembered you know this had happened earlier I'd seen this water once uh, before and I'd done some things and thought I'd fixed uh, the problem but you know what I'd gotten so busy In the intervening years that, well, I kind of put it out of my mind. I thought, you know, there's nothing noticeable about the refrigerator. After all, it's still keeping food cold. I wasn't changing uh, the towel. I simply ignored the problem, but it was a problem that couldn't be ignored as the water puddled in front of the refrigerator. Sometimes this happens in my life, maybe in yours. Things seem to be uh, working, but I miss the clues. The distance that's growing in a friendship, I don't uh, see it because uh, the friend or my spouse still answers my phone calls. Or the growing appetite that I have for sensuality, after all, what harm is it doing to someone else? Or I lose my sense of purpose, but I don't notice because I'm still uh, employed. It's kind of embarrassing to face this, because it keeps happening. Peter announces that the joy of Jesus comes when we notice what's really going on in our relationship with God. Peter's speaking to religious people, and he says, you know, I know you acted in ignorance. Repent and turn to God. Repent of disowning the Messiah. And let God be God. Now these religious people no doubt thought of themselves as pleasing uh, to God. After all, uh, uh, they were in the temple. They were there uh, to pray. They knew what God required and they lived it out as best uh, they uh, could. But in fact, they had rejected the Messiah. You see, religious people... Well, this is true today. Who are actively participating in the life of a church, uh, who are acquainted with God's morality, who live respectable lives, can use religion as a way, well, actually to evade God, to hold him at arm's length. It it goes something like this. You know, I've got God in my life and that's enough so I can get on with the business of running my life of managing it day to day in keeping with my agenda. As long as I color in the lot between the lines, you know, as, as long as I, you know, go to church and read my Bible and give, well, I'm safe uh, to do whatever else I really uh, want. Such a life lived can actually not be one that's lived in submission to Christ in real dependence on him, of relying on him in trust. It can be a life where really there's no seeking after uh, God. And it's a life uh, that can be detected by its absence of joy. But if you're here and you're not a religious person, in fact, you think of yourself as irreligious Well, I'm glad you're here today. Religious people, of course, either irreligious people either deny the existence of God or they disown him, they ignore him. And Peter's calling you to repent as well. Just what do you need to repent of? Well, it is of creating your own reality, of imagining that your life that life itself can be explained apart from the existence of God or that you can pursue it to the full apart from the author of life. You need to repent of denying his existence if you do and of viewing God as optional, as an inconvenient possible presence in your life. And that responding to him, all, well, you can put that off uh, till another time. God is summoning you to respond to the gospel this morning. Turn to God. That's what God is asking of you. If you will take him as he comes to you and not as you uh, prefer, if you will uh, turn uh, from running your own life and depending on your own wisdom and uh, your own insight and humble yourself before him, you will experience his compassion. Your sins will be wiped out and times of refreshing will come from God. Peter's language here strongly suggests that the repenting, the turning to God and the times of refreshment can be experienced again and again. So irrespective of what your relationship with God is like, whether it's a good one or a bad one, or you think there's none at all, this promise is held out to you today. Let's pray. Gracious uh, Heavenly Father, thank you for sending the Christ. Lord, you've given us such a deep longing for things to be whole, for that which is uh, crippled in us to be healed for us to know health, uh, for the whole cosmos to be restored to its order and beauty. Its glimpses move us to long for more. And so, Lord, may that be part of what you use to motivate us to search out our questions, to turn from ourselves, to repent and to know those times of refreshing, that we might experience fresh joy and at the end of human history, we ourselves might participate in the renewal of all things. For we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.